Happy Easter. It's wonderful Resurrection Sunday, amen? He is not there. He is not here. He is risen. He is no longer in the grave, amen? Amen. Uh, Jesus does the heavy lifting, and that's what we love and appreciate about him. So grateful to be here this morning. So great to have the privilege and honor of being your pastor. So thankful for so many of you that are here. Some of you have complicated jobs, and it brings you here once a month, twice a month, three times a month, but we are so grateful. And if you're here for the first time and uh, you don't have a home church, which we believe to be a place that you're plugged into in community, a place where people, when, they, when you're gone, they notice you're missing. When you are carrying a burden, they take a corner and an edge with it. If you are not a part of a community like that, that we believe is a regular rhythm, a weekly part of your life, we pray and hope that we earn the right for you to make this your home church. And so we're so grateful for every single one of you. And uh, again, I already mentioned the precursor that I'm just waiting for that pig to break out any second. Anyone is welcome to take a chunk of bacon out of that thing if you, I know, he's pretty cute. By the way, secret, if you rub his belly, he'll lay down. It's wicked precious. Um, You rub his side, you rub his side. Yeah, he's wicked cute. He's Pumbaa. I have a very, very profound but very simple short truth for you this morning here, this Easter. And it comes from a verse found in Luke 24, 2. And it reads like this. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Read it for you one more time. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Pray with me. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, speak this morning to our mind, what we need to understand, to our spirit, what we need to, he- to heal and hear, and to our lives so that we can allow you to change us and that we are never the same again. Help us not just see with our eyes and to see with our mind, but to see with our heart all the powerful things that you do. Lord, if raising from the dead is what you could do with your death, my goodness, what you could do if we give you our life. We praise and thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. It's amazing. If you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, this this past Holy Week, last week was focused on the triumphal entry and the crucifixion. Good Friday is called Good Friday. That is when Christ is crucified for our sins. How many of you are thankful for the cross? Like, thank you, Jesus, for the cross. I'm so grateful that he took yours and my sin to the grave through using that instrument, but the story doesn't end there. You know, this is the thing about Christianity that, that sometimes it's easy to miss, is we focus on the cross, right? We have, we have football stars that have big crosses. You ever see them? They score a touchdown. Everyone's like, yeah, and they're like, no, no. Jesus is my homeboy. You know, you got the cross. The story is not just the cross. In fact, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, if Christ is only good for us in this life, we should be pitied among, among all men. In other words, if Jesus and his work on the cross is only good in this life to take away our shame, to take away our guilt, then 
when we die, what's the point? We, why should we live for God? Why should we live a righteous life? Why should we allow God access to change our behavior and to change our thinking and to change our attitude if, if, if we just are going to die and that's it and he forgives us of our sin? But no, you see, the key to it is when you mix the cross with the empty tomb. It was the point where he took our garbage into the grave, but instead of rotting with it, he shed our sin and he busted open that tomb and he walked out and he said, not only am I going to forgive you of your sin and your shame, but I'm going to restore eternal life to you through my son, Jesus Christ. And that's the message of Easter. Could you imagine being back in those days. I mean, the immensity and the intensity of Jesus. He walks into a room and cripples are lifted out of wheelchairs. He steps into a place and demons that are torturing people's lives are, are driven out with a word from his mouth. Blind eyes are open. And man, some of the most inspiring words ever spoken on the face of the earth coming off of the mouth of God through his son Jesus Christ. I mean, you, you talk about having a moment where God speaks directly to your heart. He's not, wasn't just speaking to the hearts of men and women. He was, he was, he was looking in their eyes. What an incredible time. And, and you know, that, I, I kind of often think like, man, if I could be alive at any time, that would have been an awesome time. And in any place, of course, for me, it's always Israel. I always want to go back. I'm looking for a reason to, but, but think about from the perspective of the people, when it comes to death, there's a finality to that. And it's no secret in this room, many of us carry the, the pain and the scar of those that we have loved, that we have lost, to cancer, to car accidents, to tragedy, to, to so many different things. And death has this funny way of ending a chapter, sometimes incomplete, ending the story, closing the book, and, and you see this in the lives of all of the people that knew Jesus, all of the disciples. In fact, when he rose from the grave, at one point we see him walking along a road called Emmaus, and he bumps into these two guys, and they're talking amongst themselves about him. And so he says, hey, what's going on? He says, where have you been? What rock have you been under? Haven't you heard like this guy, Jesus? He was just incredible. In fact, listen to their words. They say this, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem us. You see, their hope was in Jesus so long as he was alive because they thought that Jesus was going to restore the kingdom and make their life right and balance their checkbook and fix their marriage and, and all these kind of things because they were only seeing Jesus's power and limit to their local little lives. And they're like, man, we thought he was going to be the guy, but he died. It's over. You look at Mary and Martha and Lazarus, these three people, this is... This was Jesus' home away from home. It was the place where he was able to let his hair down and be himself and not have to choose his words carefully. Where he could talk. How many of you have friends like that? Where you're like, you go with them and it's not like, you know, pastors, we do this thing. It's like all the time we walk into a room, they're like, oh goodness, pastor, thank you, you're there. Can you pray for this and can you pray for that? You know, I can walk into some of my friend's house and I'd be like, I ain't praying for anybody. In fact, I have this tradition when I'm there, I don't even pray for the food. I'm like, I know you're all looking at me like I'm supposed to do that, but that's not my job here. Somebody else pray for that food, you know. <laughs> It's just, you know, we all need friends that we can just let our hair down and be ourselves. That's what Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were. But Lazarus dies. In fact, he doesn't just die. He's in the grave like four days. And Jesus shows up and listen to, listen to Mary's words. She runs up to him. She said, oh, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. But it's too late. 
it's over. It's almost like death is such an intimidating foe with power of finality, ending the story abruptly. Anything's possible, but when you die, that's it. But that's not who Jesus is. He said it like this. Anyone who believes in me, though you are dead, yet shall you live. Yet shall you live. I have a friend, his name is Leonard Sweet. He's a really amazing uh, thinker in Christendom. And his name's actually listed in Life Magazine's top most 100 influential people in the past 100 years. He's one of those guys, like, he did something, but nobody really kind of knows it yet until he's long gone. He was, it was like Martin Luther King, Billy Graham, Leonard Sweet. And he, I remember one time I was talking with him, and I'm like, man, you know, Len, death is just a part of life. And he got in my face. He's like, no, it's not, Paul. And so I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> no, it's not. He said, why does it hurt so bad? He says, you know why? Because you and I were not intended for death. We were intended for eternity. We were intended to be with him. Death was not part of the story. And death came into the world because of sin. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus looks down from heaven with the Father and says, you know what? This whole system needs a reboot. Jesus, they've gotten into the mud so thick, there is no way they're ever crawling out of it. So I'm going to send you to die on a cross so that their, their sins will go into the grave with you, but you won't stay in the grave. In fact, you're going to come out of the grave. And when you come out of the grave, you're going to bring eternal life to every single person that will put their trust, faith, and hope in you. Because being a Christian isn't just about believing Jesus forgives your sin. It's also that trust and that hope that though you are dead, yet shall you live. That Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also said, I am the resurrection. I'm the, I'm the one that has the power over death. And there is coming a day where every grave will be open, where all eyes will be upon him. And he will stand before God and he will restore this life. He is going to reboot this universe. That is the message of Christianity. That is the power of the gospel. And that is why they found the stone rolled away and the tomb empty empty when you read through the gospel of john chapter 20 it's really interesting we have a saying in this church we don't mention words that the bible are written in in the original language like greek and hebrew unless it means something i got something that means something this is good stuff are you ready when they go to the tomb of jesus the bible says that mary saw something Peter saw something and John saw something, but their seeing is completely different. Some say seeing is believing. I'd like to say to you this morning, believing is seeing. And I want to start it off first here. Take a look at Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, the woman who had seven demons in her. She was just about as evil and, and crazy and violent and vicious and vulgar as a human being could be. And Jesus walked up to her life in her crazy condition and said, we're going to reboot this. Be free. And that woman was never the same for the rest of her life. How many of you were one of those crazy ladies? You were out of your mind. You were, you were, I saw a guy lift up his hand. I'm like, hey, you can do it. How many of you were one of those crazy people? Jesus walked in the room and said, be free, be clean. And he has the authority and the power to do it. He just doesn't talk the talk. He walks the walk. Why? Because they found the stone rolled away. He didn't stay in the tomb. He's not here. He's risen. And he has the power and all authority to make us whole. 
And so this woman who is about the most dedicated person to Jesus next to his mom is there at the cross and is there at the tomb and death has totally taken its finality upon her heart and it's over. And Mary, the Bible says, sees that the stone has been taken away from the tomb. What's interesting is, is that Greek word blepo there to see is simply this, the opposite of blind. It's like, so what do you mean if you're to say, Pastor Paul, what does that mean in the Greek to see? I would say to see. It's the opposite of being blind. In other words, you see things with your eyes. The opposite is, is if you didn't see things with your eyes. So what does Mary do? Mary walks into the situation and she starts looking around and she's all about the facts. She sees this, she sees that. In fact, her life motto is this. It is what it is. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a great solace and peace that can come in your life learning how to accept things the way they are rather than fighting for the way you think they should be. Sometimes we can have a lack of peace in our life, but, but sometimes we can carry that to the extreme where we just under-expect. She walks up and she says, man, stones rolled away. What happened here? Uh, she is what I would call the realist. How many of you, you talk about a pessimist an optimist and a realist, right? So you put a glass of water in front of the optimist and it's half what? Half full. You put it in front of the pessimist and it's what? You put it in front of the realist and they'll say, please fill it up again, right? You put it in front of the Christian and they say, who needs a drink? I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. That's what God wants us to be, that kind of person. But, but she was just, she was so hurt. And she, she was a realist. She saw her limitations. When they're going to the tomb to see Jesus, they say this. In fact, the women were saying amongst each other, Mary Magdalene being one of them, she goes, who are we going to get to remove the stone or move the stone? Because if you see this stone, this is actually a place right that we drive by on Mount Carmel. It's like, this stone is huge. Like, I, would, I, I could maybe move it. I'm sorry, let me say that again. I definitely could move it. No, I'm serious. It's, it's heavy. It's heavy. You need a few people to move that thing. But the, Mary Magdalene's like, hey, it's a heavy stone. We need somebody to move it. How are we going to move it? Can we just be practical? And then all of a sudden, at one point, you see that she's rationally trying to figure things out. And Jesus shows up right afterwards. As, she, as all the disciples leave, Mary lingers there. And Jesus asks her, who are you looking for? And she turns around, she's got tears. She, she couldn't see more than the stone and all the practical stuff, but she definitely was staring grief in the face. And she's just like, look, I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not even worried about it. Just tell me where his body is and I'll bring it back. Where'd you hide him? And in fact... It's so easy in our life if we just look with these and go through life just looking at the surface of things, we may not even see Jesus for who he is. In fact, Jesus asks, he says, why are you weeping? And then she's like, his body has been stolen. Where is it? And Jesus says to her, Mary. And she turns around and she sees Jesus. I, t I tend to find there's a little bit of Mary in me and there's nothing wrong with being practical and pragmatic and being a realist 
Except if that is the only surface that you look at Jesus, you will never see him for who he is. If you only try to catch him at a glance and say, well, what good is he to my life? Or, or you know, well, look, I've just got problems I've got to deal with and church is good and all, but I don't got time for that. Or, you know what, I just, I just, I can't see past this problem and I just got to, once I get my debt paid off or once I get my husband or my wife straightened out, you know, you know maybe there'll be space for Jesus. But so many times we get trapped in that face of just looking at things with the eyes of a realist and we miss things. We face the reality of our loss. We accept the limitations of our life like heavy stones Listen, news for you here today, it doesn't depend on you. Jesus does the heavy lifting for you. And they looked at the tomb and it said this, and look at this verse. Again, it says, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. I tend to find that when I'm in my deep, practical, surface, blepo looking at life, I think, oh, well, if I move the stone, I'll get things working here. No, there, when it comes to Jesus, the, the work that he does in your life, the power of God and the things that he can do, isn't you meeting him in the middle. You can never meet in the middle. One step from him spans the universe. And it's not that you build yourself up to be a faith-filled person or a righteous person, and then you're going to come to God and God's going to do it. He, he says, listen, Get beyond looking at the surface of things. I'm about to do something in your life that's going to bust the grave open, that's going to roll the stone back, and that isn't going to open up a big stench that's going to waft out. I'm going to bust out alive and risen, and if that's what Jesus can do through his death, what can he do with your life? What can he do? They found the stone rolled away, but she wasn't the only one that showed up there. Peter shows up. And the Bible says that Simon Peter went into the tomb and saw, and this Greek word is called thereo, saw the, the grave clothes lying there. And what's interesting is, is Mary's seeing is with her eyes, but Peter's seeing is with his mind. He's, the, in fact, this is where we get the word theoretical from, thereo. It's kind of like, let me theorize, let me think about, let me try and figure this out. Let me make sense of this. Let me consider, let me recognize, let me contemplate, let me investigate. How many of you have a friend like this that nothing reaches their heart without going through their mind first? How many of you are that person here this morning and you're like, it don't make sense until I can understand it with my head, it ain't going any further. You know what's crazy? They have all, in theology, they have all these different theories about, you know, how was Jesus' resurrection from the dead a hoax? So one of them, they say, they got this theory where the disciples hid the body, right? The stone is rolled away because the disciples actually grabbed the body and hid it. Well, that would make sense, except for the fact that they're fearing for their life, and it was illegal to be a Christian. And in fact, every single one of these men died a horrific, torturous death, with the exception of John. Who would die for a lie? Who would die for a lie? That makes absolutely no common sense. If you theorize that one, it makes no sense. There's another theory. This one's kind of humorous. It's called the swoon theory, right? The swoon theory goes like this. Jesus was crucified. They stabbed him with, with a spear in his side. And they put him in the grave. But he really wasn't fully dead. He was almost dead, right? That's like uh, Mighty Python, for those of you who get that reference. 
I'm almost dead, you know. I'm fine. It's just a flesh wound. So they put him in the tomb, right? And the theory says this. Jesus really didn't resurrect from the dead because that's not possible. That's not real, right? So they put him in the grave. And then he got up with a spear wound and piercings and hanging on a cross, bleeding out. And he just kind of like threw the stone off from the inside out, walked out and said, hey, guys, I'll never let anyone ever see me again. Just, just uh, you know, just, just know that, like, this is our secret. Like, that makes no sense. But Peter's trying to wrap his mind around this. I totally get that some people really limit their view of God because they think it always is preceded by bowing to the approval of their mind. Sometimes in our life when we act like Peter and we thorao, we kind of got like, I'll only believe it with my heart if I approve of it with my mind. Well, God doesn't need your approval. God doesn't need my approval. Sometimes he says, you know what? We show up and we're like, oh Lord, are you on my side or that side? And the Lord just comes in and says, I'm not taking sides, I'm here to take over. God is above our thinking. I mean, the, the, this is the crazy part of this. Like, look at Thomas. Now, everybody gives Tom, Peter a hard time for, for doubting and betraying Jesus, but Thomas is, like, doubting big time. And one of the verses talks about the disciples come in, they say, hey, we've seen Jesus, he's alive. And Thomas looks at him and says, just stop messing with my heart. Stop talking like that. And, he, and they say, no, serious. And he goes, I will not you got to see how this is written in Greek. It's written with the main negation, which means absolutely not, no way in a million years. Absolutely not. I will not believe what you're saying unless I see him and I put my hand in the hole in his wrist and I put my hand in his side. I will not believe it. Forget it. Not in a million years. And what does Jesus do? He comes to the door and he says, oh, Thomas, stop doubting. Put your hand in my side. And then he says this amazing statement right afterwards. He says, Thomas, you believed because you've seen. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Some people say seeing is believing. I dare to say that sometimes believing is seeing. And sometimes our mind creates a barrier because we think that it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate Uh, chaperone of the universe and all things are supposed to go through our mind now listen god believes in the mind and i'm not saying go out of your mind about things but sometimes he just steps right over that now i i i i think it's amazing this whole thing of jesus and and the crucifixion and the resurrection but it's almost like wow this is a pretty cool trick how many of you have ever heard of the magician david copperfield this is really amazing back in the day you know that new movie that new show that's out like how they do the magic tricks what's it called andrew the trick ones, they, yeah, he doesn't know. It's, it's, this, it's this, we, we watch every once in a while and they show you, they spoil all the magic tricks. Remember the code of the magicians was always never tell anyone the secret. And, and so they've just ruined magic for me. But it was really cool. We saw David Copperfield and he goes up and he's got this huge silhouette and he's got a fan, an industrial sized fan. And he sticks his hand in it. As he puts his hand in the fan, it's coming out the other side of smoke. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And then he puts his whole arm and then his leg and then he steps through and it's like the guy walks into the fan and comes out smoke on the other side. And if that was not enough, all of a sudden, boom, instantly right next to us, right near us in, our, in a section right near us, who's standing there? 
David Copperfield. I'm like, oh my gosh, how'd you do that? You're the man. Like, oh my goodness. And I think with a theorizing kind of a mind, I think some people look at Jesus and they look at the stone rolled back and they look at the empty grave and they're like, yeah, that's cool, but let's just wait until Magic Tricks Exposed comes out and shows us how this isn't real. It isn't really what we think it is. I've heard that the longest distance in the universe is 18 inches from the head to the heart. But I love a quote from an unknown author here that says this, don't let the thoughts that come first to your mind get in the way of the feelings of hope that have settled in your heart. You can unstitch things so many times. Seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing, and they saw that the stone was rolled back, and Peter is seeing not with his eyes, blepo, but thara'o, with his mind, trying to figure it out. And sometimes God will do some things that just will not make sense to nature and natural because he is supernatural. But I don't think that Peter is necessarily like Thomas. See, there was a father and his son was uh, struggling with demon possession. And Jesus says, do you think that he can be healed by the power of God? And the guy says to him this, he goes, I believe, help me with my unbelief. I think that that speaks to so many of us. It's like we want to believe that God could do something. We just don't know if he's going to. And we become discouraged and despaired. And this is where I think Peter is. Peter, he used to live from the heart. Jesus comes walking on the water. They're like, Lord, help us. Grab an oar. Bail us out. Jesus comes walking on the water. What does Peter say? Call me out on the water. And you can say what you want about Peter, but that man is the only human being I know to date that took three steps on water. He walked on water. He sank after three steps. Yeah, I'll give you that. But he walked on water. Peter's the one where Jesus said to him, you're all going to deny me. And Peter said, not me. You'll see. You'll see, Jesus. I'm ready to defend you. I'm ready to die for you. You'll see. Jesus says, oh, Peter. See, Peter was so passionate that he thought with his heart that after he, Jesus died and was crucified and buried and the finality of death hit him, he became so discouraged, he pulled his thinking from his heart into his head. And some of the most disappointing discouraging, devious things that have ever happened in my life have so discouraged me that I stop thinking with my heart and with my passion and I pull it up into my head. That's where Peter is. He's not like Thomas saying, you know what? Show me. Peter is like, I just can't take this anymore. And maybe inside the tomb of your heart, there's a stone rolled over it that says, that dream's gone, this desire is destroyed, this, this thing is decomposing and it's locked and I just don't even want to have passion for it anymore. You used to have passion in your life. You used to have excitement in your life. You used to have, and now all of a sudden you're just kind of slowly decomposing because your soul has been so wounded that you can't think with your heart anymore. So you just bring it up into your head and just live life numb. Theorizing away all the life God wishes to resurrect in your heart is a mistake, just as much as saying, God, I won't believe you unless I approve with my thinking. But that's what Peter was doing. He was theraoing. And they were doing it because why? They found the stone rolled away. They're trying to figure this out. And this is the beautiful part of this story as I kind of wind this down. And as the worship team 
comes up and as the people who are going to help come forward. John is the one that caught my attention because it says this about John, the other disciple, who is John the Beloved. It says that John also went and he saw and he believed. You know what's amazing? The seeing that John had was not a seeing with his eyes and it was not a seeing with his head. But literally, this is a word that literally means when it's kind of put in a particular structure, it's literally sometimes it's a word that's used about visiting somebody, making that connection with somebody. It, it means to perceive something, to take note of it, to take care of it, to look after it. It's, it's a thinking with the heart. And there's John, and he's always like that one that always gets it first. And there he is. And he says, oh, I don't need to make sense of it here. And this isn't the real story. Oh, my goodness. He's not here. He's risen, just like he said he would. See, I'm here today, and as crazy of a claim as this might seem, it's not an original one, and it's not mine. It came from the mouth of Jesus. He said, they will crucify me and bury me, and on the third day I will raise again. And anyone who believes in me, though he is dead, yet, yet shall he live. But this is what I've come to find, is, is that many times in my life I kind of want to reduce it to Mary and just make it a visual thing and just don't confuse me with the facts, just make it practical. And, and I, I, I don't want to put any more energy in it than that. And I become so practical that I miss Jesus, that Jesus has to ask me, why are you weeping? What's, what's wrong? And he's like, Paul, it's me. I'm not there. I'm risen. I'm here in your life, present. I want to be in your life. I want you to see me. And I'm like Peter, where my heart has been so discouraged, I don't want to feel with it anymore, so I pull it into my head and I just try to rationalize things away because it just hurts too much. It just costs too much to do that. And the Lord just looks at me, just like he said to Peter. He, after he talks to Mary, he says, Hey, Mary, go tell the disciples and Peter that I've risen. I'm going to fill his heart again so that he can think with his heart as much as his head. John, John's just John. He just, John's the beloved. And how am I going to roll a stone away if I can't even get a pulpit out of here, huh? <laughs> this is the crazy thing of this whole thing. How do you see Jesus? See this person that you just take a peek at a couple times a year and, you know, if it makes sense to your mind, you'll believe it, but, you know, God has no access here, man. Listen, he, he doesn't need permission or access. Jesus isn't here to take sides. He's here to take over your life because he loves you. And, and you might be sitting there, well, why? Why do, why do I need Jesus in every area of my life? And Because he loves you, because we believe that you are called to belong to the God that knows you, to believe in the Savior who can forgive you. Jesus wants to roll away the stone of your heart. Not so that the stench of death wafts out, but that he could resurrect whatever it is that's brought that death to you. You are capable of so much more. You are called to so much more. One of my mentors says it like this all the time. He says, sometimes there are accidental parents, but there are no accidental births. There's no fingerprint the same. There's no snowflake alike. God designed you and created you the way that you are, as introverted or as extroverted as you are. 
as artistic or as pragmatic and practical as you are. God made you and he made you for a purpose that you can belong to him, believe in him, become all he's called you to be so that he can build his kingdom through you in a place like this. As we close here, we have, I just felt, we just need to see what is God doing? You know what I did? I called up, I sent out a text to a whole bunch of people and once we reached enough, I said, man, we, we just won't have time to show this. But we're going to show you the stones that God has rolled away in this church. And maybe some of those stories, you're gonna be like, oh my goodness, I need that. That's my, that's the thing that's killing me. I want you to know, maybe you won't even see that stone up. But I want you to know, whatever that rock is that's rolled over your reasoning and has removed all hope from your life, Jesus wants to resurrect it. And I would say to you this, I would say to you, save your applause to the end, but I'm telling you, as you see these people share their story, I want us to thunder it. And I would say, save it to the end so that everybody feels the same. No, no way. Let me tell you what. You thunder back the story of these young men who got baptized and why they did, and these people who had resurrected marriages and eating disorders and drug addiction and homelessness. We're going to thunder the praise of God. Praise isn't praise unless you do it on the front end. Everybody wants to praise God after he does the miracle. That's not praise. That's just practical. It's like saying, hey, thank you for doing that. But you know what praise really is? And praise is being able to thank God for the miracle before the miracle happens. And we're going to believe God that we are going to have more and more miracles in this church as he rolls the stones away. Amen. Him who is our praise, His 
There is no stone Jesus is either unwilling or unable to move in your life. And I don't care if you are in ministry and you've been here for years or if you are just stumbling into this church for the first time. The resurrected king is resurrecting us. That's what this is about. There is no rock too heavy he can't roll out of the way. And I wonder if we can lift our hands and just say, oh God, move this stone from our life, Lord. Maybe it's in our mind. Maybe we're stuck with our eyes. But Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to see with our heart. You're the resurrected King. Roll away the stone. Become Savior in our life. Be our Savior again and again and again and again. Oh God, we celebrate what you're doing this Easter. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. And we ask you, oh Lord, we may not be who we ought to be. Oh but Lord, help us never to be who we used to be. Make us into the image of your Son. Resurrect your power through our lives us that we might belong to the God who loves us believe in the Savior who can forgive us to become what you have destined for us so that we can build your kingdom through us we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus name and everybody said amen we're gonna thunder this song you can say and sing remember on the back our drummer loves this job as he continues, he continues. But as you go, you'll notice there's instruction on how to get to the petting zoo. Upstairs, we have bunnies, we have chicks, we have an obnoxious pig, we have photo booth, all those things. But please make sure if you have children, you grab them. Everybody, the flow of traffic will be into the foyer, up the steps, around and down and out. If you want to join us in this song as we sing it, The Resurrected King, God bless you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for making us your home. God bless you. We will see you next week. for spending Easter with us. We look forward to having you back next Sunday. You are dismissed.